The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 34701, our SMS hotline. You can also give us a call today, 0891 Tweet or Facebook the show on AM Live on SAFM. You can also email amlive at safm.co.za. So what are we talking about today? Well, looking 20 years on, how far is South Africa? How are we doing? What's our progress? We're going to decipher it from an outsider's perspective today, whether or not we've made any progress in four specific areas. That's the economy, foreign policy, trade relations, and regional integration, much of which uh, you could call junk status pre-1994. Have we shed that junk status? Where are we today? How far have we come in the last 20 years? So how is South Africa doing? Tell us an SMS, 34701, or give us a call right now, 0891104208. Talking to us today, Dr. Martin Davies, CEO of Frontier Advisories. Joining me in studio, Dr. Davies, good to talk to you again. Thank you very much. Good morning. Joining us on the line, we've got Dr. Blessing Karumbidza, who's a postdoc Fellow in Economic Development at the Durban University of Technology. Dr. Karumbidza, good morning. Thank you for your time. Good morning. Thank you. We've also got the Associate Editor of the Daily Maverick, uh, Mr. Brooks Spector. Good morning. Good to speak to you as well again. Dr. Davies, if I can start with you, and it looks like much of this deals with, with the economy. We're seeing much about you know, the impression that's being created from outside and the impression that we're giving. Are these four areas pretty key for that message? I think um, just just to start off with, you know, there's been, I think there's two main sort of points for me here. Firstly is we will never be, uh, we'll never achieve our full potential. We will never be internationally competitive if we are so internally divided. And this is what's required. We need to forge a nation as a country. Uh, I think the second point is, as you say, uh, it's about the economics. There's been a lot of comparison in, in the conversation earlier. I was listening um, to SAFM, and we were comparing our relative performance for the last 20 years, the last two decades, which is, in effect, a generation, to that of the apartheid national government. Now, for me, that's an extremely, probably the lowest benchmark one can ever get. How can we compare a performance to a state? that actively sought to not educate the majority of its people and actively sought to not include the majority of people in economic activity in the country. That surely cannot be a benchmark. So performance, as always, is relative. And I think we need to, looking from an, through an economic sort of lens, we need to start to compare to other um, competitor-type economies in not too dissimilar boats to ourselves in terms of transition to democracy, etc., challenges in nation-building, countries like South Korea, countries like Malaysia, perhaps, around similar times, and say, well, how actually are, how are we doing relatively? Because my concern is in South Africa, increasingly, we, we seem to be more and more uh, introspective uh, and, and less sort of acknowledging of what is going on globally. I'm not sure why this is. Maybe I, th- I, was, I thought that since 20 years of openness, 20 years of embracing the world, we'd be a far more open place. But I often see the reverse taking place. Dr. Karambitsa, perhaps you can help us out here. Before we even started, perhaps uh, Dr. Davies here has ankle tapped us to borrow an expression from rugby. I mean, uh, should we be comparing ourselves to ourselves 20 years ago, or should we be comparing ourselves to other international actors out there who've performed far better than we were expecting them to? I think it is important to 
compare ourselves, not sure, we can't compare ourselves to ourselves, but to others and say, they are, starting in Africa, for instance, there are countries that went through independence, fought their liberation struggles. When they came into independence, what did they do to their education? Do we have examples of cases where people transformed their education to meet their development needs? Uh, land reform, for instance, do we have countries that uh, restructured their land ownership and agricultural development to bring in everyone, including the previously excluded. So we have quite a lot of examples across the African continent of people who do took different, different paths to, uh, such that if we look at those, uh, looking at specific things we want to do with the economy, you can say this, we want to learn this good example from these people. We would like to avoid that and be able to come up with uh, better ways of uh, using the resources that we have. And, of course, the examples that uh, were given earlier are, are very important. Those countries like South Korea and all the newly industrialized countries, How, what institutions did they put in place? In South Africa, it's not just about institutions. We have great institutions in place, but how are these institutions operationalized and uh, used on a day-to-day basis? And for me, the most important aspect is to look at the people question. When we have these institutions, when we take these examples, are we keeping in mind the fact that development is not development until people and nature are taken care of? Mr. Brooks Spector, when we heard the President delivering the State of the Nation address last week, he talked about uh, the average 3% or just greater than 3% growth rate over the last 20 years. Is there any value in measuring our progress against our own past? Well, there is to a certain extent, and I want to cast back a little bit to what Martin and your other guests uh, had had started out with. Uh, If you were to compare... It depends on the benchmark you decide to take. If you want to take a 40-year period, obviously the 20 years before 1994 were not a period in which things went well. In fact, for the last number of years in the apartheid regime, there was a negative growth rate. The economy was actually falling backwards, and that's not very useful as a as a comparative base. If you compare for the 20 years post-94, all right, the number is about what the president says, but that's not nearly enough to build an economy which is going to absorb the young people entering the labor market, let alone provide for increasing benefits for such people. And you only have to compare it to countries like South Korea, like uh, an economy like Taiwan, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, Hong Kong, even places like Indonesia. Uh, And we're not even talking about China in this regard, um, those kinds of comparisons uh, should make people in South Africa very nervous because here the potential for growth has yet to be achieved. What you've done basically is see a certain certain paddling standing still. Um, things have not gone nearly as well as might have been the case. And the, the international economy, of course, is not very forgiving. They don't give you brownie points for what you think you would like to do. They look very carefully and very coldly and very analytically at the potential. A, a, a businessman in New York or London or Paris or wherever it might be 
uh, doesn't decide to invest in South Africa because it has good thoughts and wonderful plans. They invest in South Africa because the rate of return on their investment seems to be something that they want. They don't see it. They go somewhere else. Well, let's uh, see what you say about this. Uh, 20 years on, how is South Africa doing? Give us a call today. The lines are open right now, 0891-104-208. That number again, I'll do it slowly, 0891-104-208. Give us a call. Tell us what you think. 20 years on, how is South Africa doing? If you prefer to SMS, you can find us on SMS on 34701. Cast you two round. Tweet or Facebook the show. AM Live on SAFM. You can also email amlive at safm.co.za. Dr. Davies, you know, Mr. Brooks Spector was saying, you know, some international actors could be looking at us and saying, well, we've been stagnating, actually, you know, pre-1994 <coughs> for the 20 years before, before we achieved independence. We were growing at around 1.4%. The apartheid government, which, you know, lauded itself with glory, was only growing at 1.4%. Over the last 20 years, we've been growing at an average of 3%. Are those international actors out there still saying, well, South Africa really stagnating, hasn't grown as much as its competitors in the emerging market, like Turkey, Nigeria, growing well above 7%? I think, you know, first we must not equate growth with development. It's two very different things, I think. Uh, I think our government, uh, and again, it depends what a government's priority is. Are we pursuing, is our priority social economic justice, or is our priority uh, high growth, Entirely capitalist-driven sort of um, sort of sort of strategy here. Um, I think they're two quite different things. But <clears throat> I, I, I go back to what I said. I think the comparison with a really um, a really bad um, in every possible way apartheid government is not a comparison at all. So what are, what was happening? We're growing at three uh, percent. Goldman Sachs in its BRICS initial BRIC report going back uh, ten eleven years now. Um, argued at the time that South Africa was not a deserving member, largely because of perhaps constrained demographics, but also because of the, they, even Goldman Sachs, put the speed limit, if I can say that, of our own growth at nothing more than 3% a year. Mm. And they're turning out to be correct. The exceptional year was 2007, leading up to the, to, to the, to the, uh, the, the Western financial crisis, where South Africa was leading up to our for FIFA 2010 World Cup, big infrastructure spend, and we were growing over 5%. But in 2007, 114 countries, 114 countries were growing at 5% or more. It was because of relatively free capital. Um, it was because of sort of the China price, deflationary, high growth, deflationary environment, and ultimately the intangible, hard to measure, and that's confidence. Now we have, we've had a very, very strange five years, disruptive five years. Western financial crisis, we know the whole tapering story now. Um, we've seen emerging market growth come off quite significantly. And we, as an emerging market economy, we cannot take growth for granted. We simply cannot. So is 2% good enough for us? Of course it's not good enough. Mm. Uh, if, if it's 8%, uh, well, if we're not beginning to 8%, South Africa as an aside, with, relating what, what Brooks said earlier, the highest in the 1960s, in a very, very different political economy we have today in this country, but South Africa in 1967 was the world's fastest growing economy. We're growing at over 7%. During the 80s and the 90s, a period you allude to, Asia was booming. Asia was laying the foundations for strong, robust, industrialized growth. We've seen that continue with a blip in 97. 
Asian financial crisis. What concerns me in South Africa, a country never really has graduated to the first world without going through an intensive industrialization process. Post-1994, we have lost approximately, we were about maybe, I think about 23-24% of GDP came from manufacturing in 1994. We were quite industrialized. Uh, today, we're probably down to about 12-13%. So it's quite a significant hit on manufacturing, mm. which clearly does not um, doesn't help our the unemployment um, challenges. I also want to pick up on, on this inequality question where you started, you know, b- us being an internally divided nation. And Dr. Davies, we met at the World Economic <coughs> Forum last year in May, where one of the key reports out there was that in societies like South Africa, which are, which are deeply divided, show great, you know, the Gini coefficient, for example, which, which monitors the inequality in South Africa, that growing gap actually hurts our growing economy. So we're actually hurting ourselves by having this vast amount of inequality. We actually could be seeing far more growth in South Africa. I'll be talking about this uh, shortly, so do give us a call, 891 Mbusa Wakai is called in from Bisho. He says we're doing very well. Mbusa Wakai, why? Look, the number of, the amount of, of, of transformation, human transformation and human development that is happening in South Africa has allowed South Africans to play a role in the economic development of this country and also in other aspects of it. Because from one of the things I disagree with, 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 your, with your guest there is that when they argue about our extent of performance, they, they want to start us at the same level as China, America and Britain, whereas we cannot be. Because when we, when we had democracy in 1994, we anchored our democracy on constitutional rights and the constitution. So many people will not want to come and invest in South Africa because workers' rights are a priority in South Africa. We're saying people cannot just uh, work for, 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 for sake of getting a wage. People must be treated better. Now, if any investor doesn't want to do that, that investor for me is an evil capitalist. We should not even be concerned about that. The last thing I want to raise is, you know, when you look at the economy, you think of jobs. And South African companies are not, don't want to employ South Africans. Because mm-hmm. one, one of the things is that government has been putting all these schemes, the sitters, the, 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 the new one, the jobs fund, the uptake is very small. It's very, very slow. Why is that? The answer for me is they don't want to create jobs. All they are upset about is the, is the bottom line. I think if we want to talk uh, economic growth, if we want to, take the, to talk about the next 20 years, it's not only government and the ANC that needs to, to transform its thinking. It's the private sector as well. Mbusumakai, thanks for that call. I'm going to ask uh, Brooke Spector to give you an answer to that shortly. But uh, Bogosi is also called in. I'll take your call, uh, giving us a call from Calvin this morning. Bogosi, good morning. Uh, good morning, Munir. <clears throat> My take is um, we are not doing what um, we should have been doing. Uh, I think we haven't pursued FDI uh, effectively. By my definition of FDI, like I've said in this forum before, mm-hmm. is intra-African regional trade. That we should. Have. If you take SADC, for instance, SADC comprises of 14 countries. And between them, they all have nat- strategic natural mineral resources. We shouldn't be uh, uh, opening up our borders for uh, FDI from uh, abroad, what I mean, to come and invest in the country. The example is, um, for instance, China. 
China came here and we got our manufacturing industries decimated because they came in here with cheap material, they manipulated their, their currency, reduced it by up to 30%, and that had a detrimental effect on our economy. We should actually, why should uh, African countries be exporting their oil to be refined overseas and be brought back into the uh, country at an extra expense, mm-hmm. instead of us doing it? South Africa, for instance, <coughs> has the capacity... To, 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 we're sitting on 3 trillion tons of, of, of coal that can be converted into oil to make oh, and see, manufacture very good, very to good, do very that. Good we're not doing that. Very good points. Bohosi, thank you very much for that. Uh, Martin Davies, I know you're going to have some thoughts about that because China is a key player where, where I'm sure you're concerned. I'm going to take one more call before we get that response. Sigin Randberg, I'm going to ask you to be very sure so we have a chance to get some responses here from our guests. Hello. We need those evil capitalists to invest money here. <laughs> uh, both, both the local in, uh, evil capitalists yep. who sit on billions that they uh, refuse to invest, uh, and, and, and the foreign ones also. Uh, none of them is going to invest. In fact, they're leaving in droves. All the money is going out so elsewhere. So how do we force them to do it? It's, 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 we, we must stop our Minister of uh, Mining, Susan Shabangu, to sabotage the mining industry at, at a public forum, a whole week of mining investment, mining talk they had. And this woman sabotaged it by saying, babies, we're going to uh, declare strategic minerals uh, that effectively we're going to expropriate and nationalize the mining industry as we go along, as we decide in our discretion. And similarly, Rob Davis is, has passed, uh, 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 has done away with the uh, foreign business and investment treaties uh, in order to allow us to expropriate foreign investment. Rob Davies is nationalizing foreign investment as well. How dare we uh, have Marxist communist sabotage of our economy when, when we've got such overwhelming unemployment because of the racist BEE, which has already done that same Sig, kind thank, of thing. Thanks for your call there, Sig and Randberg. Appreciate that. Uh, Mr. Spector, I'll, I'll give you Mbusa Wakaya's uh, question first. Okay, let, me, uh, let me try to recast it slightly. Mm. Um, I mean, he's talking about the, the internal composition of, of uh, foreign workers and uh, and that the inability of the country to create jobs for South Africans in, in large aspect. Um, one of the things we've left out in all this is the primary driver for economic growth in East Asia, and those what we used to call the four little dragons of Asia, South Korea, Hong Kong, Singapore, and Taiwan, uh, and then uh, some of the newer dragons, the Thailands, the Indonesias, and of course uh, the large dragon of China. I thought they were the tigers, Mr. Specter. Wasn't it the, the East, uh, East Africa ti- or the East Asia tigers? Depends on who you read. Some of them <laughs> were dragons and some of them were tigers. Whatever they were, they had sharp claws and, and fierce eyes. <laughs> Um, I, I remember two different books, and it, the, the, some of them were tigers and some of them were mythic dragons. Um, but the, the point I was going to make sure. is that all of these countries did this with an enormous focus and attention on improving educational capacity, mm-hmm. not simply in the sense of making people better students, but in making them more capable students, capable of leaving their education, whether at high school or university or at, at a training institution of some other type, 
uh, and being able to slide into the economy because they were already capable either of learning new skills in the work environment or applying what they already knew. And the, the challenge in this country especially has been that the educational environment, the educational system, although it has expanded, has not generated the kind of skills that are necessary. And I don't mean to be mechanistic or operational about it. A university is not supposed to turn into a giant technical institute. Uh, but it has to be able to generate people who can contribute to the economy in a meaningful way. There's no point really in the long term in creating large numbers of public work, public works jobs in which they're just pick, pick and shovel brick carrying jobs because nobody moves up the economic ladder very well because of it. Uh, and the challenge here is to get people graduated and with the skills that capable of stepping into the job. And any number of studies, including the most recent one put out by the Institute for Security Studies this morning, uh, speaks to the, to the relative uh, failure of the educational system to do precisely that. If you're to look at Japan, Korea, China, uh, any of the Asian countries, that's the one thing their educational system critic you may have of, may be of it mm. has, gener has demonstrated without um, any uh, disagreement that the skills base gets better as you go through the school system, as you enter the labor force. Bogosi, uh, if, you, sorry, you, uh, let me just finish sure. a sentence here. Um, if you did that, the, com the competitive nature of South African workers would be much higher and there'd be much less pull uh, to attract um, other workers because the South African workers would be capable of taking the jobs. Barossi, your point on regional integration, we'll get the answer right after this. It's 8.30. Stay with my guest here on the Forum of Days. As we ask, how is South Africa doing 20 years on? 8.30, time for your news headlines now with Bubakshini Chetty. 27 minutes to 9. Morning Talk comes up with Rowena Bird. Rowena, good morning. How are you doing today? Happy Monday Happy to Monday. you, Dosh. And coming up on Morning Talk this morning, we're going to assess the role of the South African Human Rights Commission in preserving and promoting human rights 20 years into our democracy. What is the state of human rights in our country? And do we even know how human rights are defined? Do we have the same definition for human rights? We're going to explore those questions in the first hour. Carlos Smith who is the founder of South Africans Against Drunk Driving, tells us about their annual nationwide alcohol-free Feb campaign. It runs for the month of February and asks members of the public to give up alcohol for a month or at least just for a few days in order to raise awareness of road crashes and the effects of dangerous drinking. On Psychological Matters with Johanna Cleovlu, we will um, take a look at emotional abuse. What is it and how do we deal with it because emotional abuse is rather insidious isn't it and then finally we're going to talk about the illicit ivory trade and the measures that the US government has enforced to combat wildlife trafficking President Barack Obama's administration seeks to strengthen global enforcement and cooperation to fight the illegal trade in ivory and that will complete the show for today thank you Darshan happy birthday darling here's a little something for you you. What did you get for me? Oh, a Durban holiday from Soho Sun Hotels. 
If you're over 63, you can book at a choice of Tokosan Hotels in Durban. Whether it's Sudden Sun Elangani in Maharani, Sun Square Sun Coast or Garden Court in Tlunga, you'll get a 50% discount on the best available rate of the day. Plus, value adds to explore the destination. For more info, go to tsokosan.com. That's T-S-O-G-O-S-U-N.com to make your booking. T's and C's apply. How smart is a smartphone if you're not on the smartest network? Get the completely unlimited mobile deal, which gives you unlimited calls, unlimited data, and even unlimited SMSs with the Samsung Galaxy S4 smartphone at just $1499 per month from Telcom. Only on SA's best broadband network. Call 10213, visit telcomshop.coza, or go to your nearest Telcom store. T's and C's apply. Rethink smart network. Telcom. When we had to borrow money to renovate, we knew who to speak to. We're already apps to customers. They know us best. Gave us a great interest rate on our personal loan. Now, honey, speak to someone about keeping this pool blue. Uh-oh. <laughs> Sometimes a little credit is all it takes to prosper. SMS loan to 31513 or visit any APSA branch today. APSA, member of Barclays, an authorized financial services and registered credit provider. Standard SMS rates and rules apply. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 24 minutes to 9. Your SMS is coming through on 34701. This is unsigned. There's a huge gap with communities not coming together. This is manifested by the slowness uh, of the NG character amongst ordinary members, except for reconciliation. Not sure what that was about. Uh, Mafolakele at Bafedilo tweets saying, People want to focus on the negative, and that's evident by your guests today. SA is a fantastic place to live 20 years later. That's a fact. Uh, this SMS uh, comes in from Stone Dlala from Kwakakfontein saying Israel managed to move from third to first world in just 10 years. Germany became a superpower in 20 years. We should have also done that. Uh, Dr. Martin Davies and I were talking off air earlier and we said, uh, well, he was saying we didn't become the Germany of Africa. And, and looking at the state that Japan's in today, are we even becoming the Japan of Africa today? Well, because his question, would greater regional integration have worked in telling a better story of, of Africa, of South Africa? Uh, Mr. Brooks Spector? I'm sorry, would you repeat that for would, me? Would, would greater integration have worked in telling a better story for us here in South Africa? Well, it actually could in some ways, although it's not going to make the difference. It certainly would provide a, a larger basis uh, for economies of scale for the economy. I mean, I know, for example, that when you look at the, the figures for this country's trade with uh, China, with, with the European Union, with North America, it's infinitely larger than all the cross-border trade in Africa. And South Africa is a, a something of a partial exception, but continent-wide, that's the case. Um, and if you if you were able to achieve a real, serious, common market, tariff-free zone with ease of transportation, uh, with ease of import-export processes through harbors, airports and via railways you would you would have create you would create a much larger uh market for goods produced in South Africa or partially produced in South Africa and that could have some real benefits um, the downside of course is that South Africa in that circumstance is almost always going to be looked at by other countries as potentially the predatory one in the mix uh, and so that would have to be finessed and managed very carefully in political and international relations terms. 
But sure, inter international regional integration is not a bad pathway to go. In fact, it's one that's urged by virtually every international um, organization, every international financial organization, and many foreign assistance and loan granting institutions all push for the same kind of activity. Dr. Karambitsa, do you agree? I mean, on our trade relations and regional integration of what Mr. Brooks Spector is saying here. And, and I also want to add to that because, you know, in the last 20 years we talked about this peace dividend, a golden period that we entered into after 1994. And, and doesn't some of the credit have to go to that as well? Uh, thank you. I think just to make a quick response to one of the callers, I think it's important to acknowledge that a lot of change and good things have happened and South Africa is a great place to stay. That's why many people come to South Africa. But it's also, also because the baseline where we're starting at, at 94, uh, where the economy was and the society was, things have changed. But that doesn't stop us from beginning to make quality assessments of efficiency, the resources that we have available, are we using them effectively and efficiently enough to provide where we should be or we could be by now if all institutions are working in that same spirit. Coming to the question of uh, regional integration, I think it is important to note that even the founding of the modern South African economy mm -hmm. is not uh, based on a national localized boundary trapped economy. This was a regional, if not continental, effort. The whole idea of Cape to Cairo was based on the realization of our resources, the disparities with the resources, and the need to have a greater market and a greater source for, for resources. You look at your original, the constellation of states and apartheid, the forcing uh, of all the countries in the regions for their economies, economic resources and their labor resources to support the South African state um, was actually part and parcel of the basis upon which uh, what we see in South Africa by, we, we was inherited in, by 1994 came from. So I cannot imagine a South Africa that can continue to remain as a balkanized national locked boundary state where people and resources do not have free movement succeeding in becoming uh, what uh, we think of and some people call South Africa as the economic gateway to the continent. So there is actually need for much greater uh, integration, there is need of course to do away with the history, the history of uh, forced, uh, the force of the labor from the region into South Africa that was paid a pittance through the labor bureaus uh, and so forth to a much more open, uh, completely, a, a complete process that allows all the countries to benefit, not just so that South Africa does not come to be seen as a uh, as a sub-imperial force within the region that comes in and take resources and take best uh, educated, educated resources and mineral resources, whatever other natural resources for the development of South Africa because South Africa cannot develop as an island without uh, better integration and growing together with the region. So there is a reason and there is space for that conversation where we begin to think what has, what is happening in terms of uh, quality 
integration that allows for capital redress, not only at home, or at home also very importantly. We're talking today when 11 miners are underground and they have been already, uh, the, the police is waiting to arrest them. The criminalization of the other half of our society, the street traders, the informal traders and so forth, if that continues to go uh, at, the, at home, and we see all these impacts of this in the region, where how we deal with the other half instead of bringing them into the mainstream of the economy, we tend to criminalize them mm. and and them out. Then just lastly and quickly, one of the things I think we need to look at also is when we talk about growth and development, one of the weekend papers has a story of our uh, a robo pharmacy at uh, Helen Joseph Hospital, and that is paraded by business and the paper is such a great step ahead. Uh, our technology is labor squandering. I do not think in a country like South Africa, where many people are still unemployed, we need to make that it is advised to make that leap into technologies where unnecessary. For instance, uh, if you go to the airport parking, other places where the machine SMs and check replacement of human beings mm-hmm. by machines uh, in the name of efficiency, which I do not think they can do, is actually really important because as long as many people are, remain unemployed, we keep them outside the economy and it constrains Let's, let's invite our callers once again, 891 uh, Reg in Pretoria is holding on. We've also got Chris in Johannesburg and Sebastian in Cape Town. But tell us where you're exactly calling from, not just these big cities. We want to know where in Cape Town, where in Joburg. Are you calling in from Soweto, from Dibkloof? Where in Pretoria, Reginald, are you calling in from? Reg, good morning. Well, Pretoria, Pretoria East. Uh, Pretoria uh, East, okay, Reg. So tell us, what, what, what do you think our macroeconomy needs to change? How and why? Absolutely. In fact, we're not going to grow, and we've not grown as we should, in fact, be growing. I think uh, before I get to the macro aspect of it, let me mm-hmm. just mention that Martin Davis is touching on a very fundamental point, which is, in fact, what is getting South Africa. The growth that is mentioned, the issues of Germany that's talking about, the manufacturing falling from, you know, whatever percentage to about 12, is at the center of our failure. What we are lacking here is what we call industrial capitalism. It is industrial capitalism that grew Germany, that grew East Asia. You must remember that around 2008, 2007, we were growing at 5.1, 5.3, 5.2, all right? But unemployment was growing. Inequality was growing. Mm. What we have today, Dyson, is what we call financial capitalism. Even if we were to grow at 7% in this country, just because we have what we call financial capitalism, who never address inequality, who never address jobs. So the macroeconomic framework in this country is flawed. Reg, thanks for that call there. Reg nothing, and, nothing else. Reg and Pretoria, I can tell you Dr. Martin Davies nodding along uh, viciously along with Reg there. Uh, Chris in Johannesburg, good morning. Good, ma- good morning, Dustin. How are you? Hi, Chris. Go ahead. What are your thoughts? I think, firstly, we need to give the story, a con- your question, a context. Mm-hmm. When you say about the 20 years ago, what do we actually mean with regards to the topics that we are talking about? How did apartheid dislodge, uh, disintegrate apartheid, uh, the southern, Af- the southern Africa as a whole, and how business in particular, uh, was able to make profits through, uh, 
cheap labor. That is the story that we need to give context so that people can make a very uh, can make positive contribution. But my point today is is also to say we cannot continue depending on big business as 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 the drivers of economy. Under apartheid, people were able to build township, what I would call township economies. Your stock fairs, your burial societies. Let's look today. We can't be saying we've got a number of graduates with financial skills. Why are they not used in the taxi industry? Why are they not used uh, by street vendors to uplift them and to build what I would call call the township economy? Because I really think there's a lot that we need to do as long as we bring the the nucleus of economic activity back to the home and in the the township as well. Thanks for that call there. Chris uh, in Johannesburg. Sebastian in Cape Town, we're not doing well, you say, Sebastian. Yes, good morning to good you. Morning. Looking at the President's address, what does one see? Uh, concentrated concentration on extractive mining, which will degrade the environment and benefit an elite. No real concentration on building agriculture from the ground up. But uh, a l- little while ago in this program, someone mentioned that in the 1960s, South Africa had its best growth rates ever. I think 8% was... Uh, mentioned. Now, we should remember that in the 1960s, our currency actually had purchasing power. Two rand would actually buy one pound sterling instead of uh, 18 rands buying a pound today. Uh, even in the 1970s, after they'd started to depreciate our currency, a rand still bought more uh, than one dollar US. At the moment, our population has no purchasing power in international terms, and this is a world where prices have been globalized in dollars. We have no purchasing power in international terms with our nominal wages. So instead of money circulating in this country and actually buying goods and services, which would stimulate our investors to invest locally, manufacturers to invest to meet a local demand, our rands are being exported overseas and then coming back to buy our assets much too cheaply in international terms and in terms of what labor hours cost to produce a unit of currency. So until we get this currency right, we have no... uh, hope of going forward and unfortunately the policies in place with our Minister of Trade, with the NDP Minister and with the Reserve Bank are still supporting devaluation of this currency and keeping us as a low slave wage economy. That's what our future is under the current dispensation. Whatever gloss is put on it, uh, the only prospects that Labour can look forward to that in international terms will just be a low uh, wage economy. And Mm -hmm. if you look at the economies where people do well, it's because they have hard, strong currencies. Sebastian, thanks for that call then, Cape Town. Ten minutes to nine. How smart is a smartphone? If you're not on the smartest network, get the completely unlimited mobile deal which gives you unlimited calls, unlimited data, and even unlimited SMSs with the Samsung Galaxy S4 smartphone at just 1499 per month from Telcom. Only on SA's best broadband network. Call 10213, visit telcomshop.coza, or go to your nearest Telcom store. T's and C's apply. Rethink smart network. Telcom. Because we need to help. To buy one kilogram of food for animal, it's exactly the amount of one kilogram of food for the family. Because we need to care. There are now so many online pet scams, and that happens with all species of animals. Because we need to be free. Tail lives 
giving him a preview of tonight's release. Because we need to know. 5050, Monday night at 7.30 on SABC2. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Victor Magnonia tweets, I'm from the Western Cape on my side. I'm not saying the best South Africa. I'm saying the worst that South Africa has to have, saying Victor Magnonia. Well, the ANC says they can change that. Gwede Mantashe uh, writing today saying, uh, well, talking about uh, poverty, inequality and unemployment, saying we still face that triple challenge. But the ANC Secretary General saying progress has been made since 94 to bring stability to this country. He answered some of the problems and questions that were raised on the show this morning, particularly with regards to education. Uh, and I know Brooks Spector raised this on earlier. So let's just quote what, uh, what Gwede Mantasha says here. He says the child can now be absorbed into the education system from early on through early childhood development, which is now being made compulsory. This is part of the lessons learned in, in achieving a far better country, he says. He says there can be no complete no-fee secondary schooling, or rather there can be complete no-fee secondary schooling and proceed to post-school education that is subsidized by the state through the NESVAS. In the same way, it's easier today for an individual to take a single trip out of the once turbulent Soweto to anywhere in the world. He says the child from a poor household now guaranteed a meal at their school through the school feeding program. A child can be absorbed into education system. ARVs available to prevent mother-to-child transmission of, a- of HIV. A pregnant mother and a child of 0 to 6 has access to free basic healthcare services. But then why are we so upset? Uh, Dr. Davies, I mean, from what the callers are saying, it sounds like we've made a lot of mistakes, a lot of bad decisions. Have we made bad decisions in the past 20 years? Look, I, I think we must nev- never settle for average. I think that any great company, any great organization, any great country is one that is never satisfied with its performance. Um, and I think we should never be satisfied. I think, however, Red said something earlier which is very important. I think industrial capitalism. Uh, we're not hearing industrial socialism as an oxymoron. But we need to, you know, um, education is clearly, uh, clearly stating the obvious, but there's almost an obsession, and, and I'll just uh, pick up a few things I, I've heard in this conversation, is this obsession with resources. And you mentioned it in, in President's talk um, recently, State of Nation Address is there's an obsession with resources in this country, in this continent. Uh, it was someone quoted earlier, $3 trillion or whatever it may be is mm-hmm. underground. It is actually, and this is a strong statement, but hear me through, it's actually irrelevant. It actually is irrelevant. All the countries that have succeeded, developed, uh, lifted themselves up from developing from extreme poverty to extreme wealth in the last three decades or so, largely being Asian countries, but many European as well, all of whom have succeeded without resources. The world's greatest economies today, the Americas largely, Japan most certainly, South Korea, China, are largely resource poor, very much so. I took a a bit of an exercise last night using IMF figures of, of the top 10 economies in the world by purchasing power parity in 2020. And there's only one which has resources, and that is Norway, which has a tiny population and a very well-managed oil finance sovereign wealth fund. But we still talk about nationalization as if somehow these resources, and the the gentleman spoke of our region integration, Mm -hmm. somehow we can bring our resources together and seek investment from SEDAC rather than globally. And this is just economically naive uh, at best. To 
uh, I go back to what I said, for an economy to succeed even in, uh, and I think in 2005, 6, 7, we were very distracted about this, and using Reggie's phrase, financial capitalism. Um, that is a service business. It doesn't ultimately create real substantive trickle-down wealth in economies, I would argue. Industrialization does. So, I think from an SA perspective, and the last point I'll make is, is we have phenomenal, we, we've done incredibly well in many areas in South Africa. We have amazing companies, world-leading companies, our automotive sector, which is manufacturing, but it was under massive pressure from, from, mm. from the turbulence we saw last year. We have phenomenal private health companies, discovery, momentum, and the like. We have incredible banking uh, you know, sector. So we can do it. Private sector can do it. We can, we can compete with anybody in the world. We're a small country. We can stand up and we can compete. Uh, I've said before that the only country I know that is similar size to us, that has created a number of international companies, uh, the same number of international competitive companies as we have, are the South Koreans. It's us and the South Koreans. We can compete, but what often prevents us is this very low-trust political economy we have in this country. I've never come across a country where the state, the government, and the private sector, business sector, are in a constant state of argument, and that hinders our ability to succeed. Mr. Spector, what uh, Dr. Davies calls naivete, perhaps, with these uh, calls for nationalization, perhaps we calls a lack of education. I mean, doesn't it all point to perhaps, you know, at the beginning of this show, we said we were going to have a conversation about if you were an outsider looking in. Aren't there many in South Africa who are those outsiders who may perhaps feel like in their lived reality, they are the outsiders looking in, and so they we don't really have a proper understanding of what we were achieved and, and how far we've gone in the last 20 years. Look, there, there, there's, there's absolutely no doubt uh, that if you were to compare where the country is today versus where it was in, say, 1990, uh, who, would, who would choose to live in 1990 as opposed to this morning? Uh, the number of hands that are put up are very small, uh, and there are all kinds of good reasons for that. Um, but I, I, let me return to something that Martin raised, which I think really, really needs to be underscored. Uh, I spent a long time living in East Asia and traveling through most of the rest of it. And every one of the countries that succeeded enormously, from Japan to the dragons or tigers, depending <laughs> on which, which, which part of the zoo you like, <laughs> um, all of those countries succeeded in spite of the fact that they had virtually no natural resources but enormous human resources, and therein lie, uh, lies the difference. Um, they, yes, they had access to capital, and they had access to capital that was preferentially managed by the state because the state had seen its way through to a very clear model of development, but the human resources, people did not go to waste. They did not have 24, 25% unemployment and numbers of underemployed people and other numbers of people employed at jobs that required virtually no skills or training or education. Um, they had levels of unemployment that were approaching zero in some cases in some years. Mm. Um, but all of the people had productive work. And if you looked at them in year one, they had one level job, and 10 years later they had moved through higher up the value chain uh, in human resource terms, the economy, therefore, was growing faster as well. Um, an outsider looking in, or an inside outsider even, looking at, at where South Africa stands now, sees the discord between 
the economic leadership and the government sees the discord among citizens, looks at their balance sheet and decides when they're making an investment, hmm, South Africa or Brazil? Hmm, South Africa or uh, Tanzania? Hmm, South Africa or Thailand? Oh, as Greta Mantasha says uh, today in his piece, South Africa or Mexico, as some uh, CEOs are looking. Well, Mexico is another example. Mm. Chile is yet another one. And all those countries have had their bad moments, too. But they're getting it right now, and it it does us no good to keep comparing ourselves to where we were 20 or 25 years ago and say, see how far we've come. We have come. Aren't we wonderful? Because the competition is not with apartheid or economic failure and political collapse. The competition is with countries that have figured out the mix. Well, we've, yeah. run out, we've run out of time, Mr. Brooks Spector. We have to leave it there with you. And uh, our other two guests, Dr. Martin Davies and Dr. Blessing Karumbinsa, thank you very much for your time today. We have to leave it there for the Forum at 8. Join us again tomorrow morning, 6 to 9 a.m. From my guests and myself, thank you for your questions, your Facebook comments, your tweets, and your SMSs and your calls. It's 9 o'clock. Time for your news with Vibakshini Chetty.